know, how can we help customers build trust in software-defined solutions, especially networking? Wow. That has <laughs> been a big problem in networking since the beginning. It needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics. What you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. They may guide you with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node sand. Oh, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 36 for Friday, February 28th, 2020. Live from the GigaCast headquarters, I'm Britton Johnson. And live from my home office, I'm Tony Reeves. Welcome to the day before Leap Day, Tony. Yes. Um, are you doing anything special to celebrate Leap Day tomorrow? Uh, No. Are you? Uh, probably not. No, <laughs> I, I never have celebrated I, uh, that holiday. But I was contemplating taking the kids to the car show in Milwaukee, but I don't know if we're going to do that now because, you know, everybody's sick everywhere, and yeah. trying to avoid germs before I go on a work trip. And coronavirus. Yeah. Hey, somebody posted on Twitter the other day. I, I saw it yesterday, actually, a like a live map, and there, and I didn't get a chance to zoom in their mobile site was horrible and i clicked on the link through mobile twitter but it was a link for like current outbreaks and what i could gather there was like red dots for like the locations and according to that there's a coronavirus case in milwaukee and madison yeah no there there was one here a couple of weeks ago and the the person like self they the, the uw hospital self they made them self quarantine themselves at home mm. so that was the first case in wisconsin is right right here in town um but okay. yeah, somebody who just was happened to happen to be visiting age somewhere in Asia and came home and you know all of a sudden they had it. So I don't know what to think about some of this stuff, man. It's like it, it's I think it's analogous to a lot of the stuff that we do in technology, where like you know viruses happen and even especially in IT and and things spread like this. And you know it's I think it'll be a a good leading thing into our conversation today. But mm -hmm. so in terms of like general news and updates, I don't really have a whole lot. Um, I have been going gangbusters with customers lately and demoing a lot of stuff with, you know, VMware HCX, um, nice. and a lot of, you know, network insight. Um, it is, um, it's been nonstop, man. And, you know, I know you're still looking for a gig. So anybody who is considering and looking to hire people with Tony's wonderful, amazing skill set, please, <laughs> please reach out to him. Appreciate so, that, bro. Yeah. Yep. And still doing interviews and meeting with people. It was just uh, just downtown Chicago yesterday. So cool. So uh, we're we're on a tight schedule today. So I want to jump into this, and so yep. we have a super super awesome guest today, Mr. Paul Minkew. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Britton. Yeah. Uh, good to be here. It was uh, it was interesting when you asked me to to be a part of this after you and I had visited a couple of customers together. Yeah. Out in your way. Yeah, and I, I, I sat after sitting with you for like two days. I'm just like, man, everybody, especially in v in VMware, even if you're going to be in in NSXSE, all brand new NSXSEs for VMware need to spend two days with Paul, because um, nice. it's, it's like learning from the it, it's like learning at the feet of the master. I mean, you're you're you know <laughs> you're you're I don't want to build your ego up too much, Paul, but 
you know, you're a really smart guy and you, the way you communicate things is, is very straightforward. And I appreciate that as an engineer that you don't really sugarcoat stuff. Like you're just like, this is how it is. And, and that's nice. And I, and I think we're going to, we're going to do that today a little bit and hopefully, you know, we won't be, our goal is not to be, um, disparaging or angry against competitors and how they do things. Um, our goal really, as we talked about, is to, to kind of prove the value of what VMware brings to the table when it comes to software-defined networking. So mm-hmm. first off, Paul, I want to ask you just some general questions. Who you are, you know, where you've been in your career, and what you're doing today at VMware. Well, after that introduction, I feel like I just hit the first drive off of the <laughs> T really well. It's time to go back into the clubhouse before the rest of the day gets ruined <laughs> on the next shot. <laughs> which invariably happens right but at the same point thank you so much for that i appreciate yeah. it myself uh i am i have a position it's called technologist director it's meant to be more so a title allowing our team if you will to talk about the greater vision of our products and services for our customer use cases so it wasn't meant to be product specific focused on each independent feature set of each of the various products, but it's meant to be a much more broad discussion as you have seen me do so with our customers. Uh, In addition to that, I had started my, uh, as far as where I came from, my my networking background started way back in the eighties. So I'm a bit older than, uh, than the usual folks, I suppose in this field, but the same point, I started way back in the eighties. I, I did all of the usual things uh, back then. Uh, I did Novell. I was a Novell CNI, oh, nice. a master CNI. Yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously doing wonders for my career today. <laughs> that's highly useful. I'm mad. <laughs> Although at one point I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world to have. Then I got my, uh, certification with Microsoft because I kept thinking that, yeah, I might as well branch out. At the time, I looked at the cl- classes that were ongoing next to me in my Novell courses, and this is back in the early 90s, 93 or 94, and I'd see a, a large set of classes back there. And so right around 93, I got my MCT, and then, you know, from there, Cisco. I even did Lotus Notes. Oh, man. I'm, I'm sure if I don't going, leave. Going hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought that it would be great to have a particular application background built on top of the networking infrastructure and having an understanding of doing some specific use case. So even back then, I was thinking in my head use cases and how I could apply right. the networking understanding. Right. Uh, and then, of course, Cisco became a natural thing. And then along, of course, came VMware, et cetera, and the rest at this point now was more along the line of bringing, uh, bringing forward a discussion on how could we take networking to the next level? Because I was always about what is the next cool thing. Mm-hmm. So, so in my Cisco background, I would I would try to spearhead what was the next new thing to teach or the next new thing to implement for customers because I was a contractor and therefore to stay busy as a contractor and always stay in the upper echelon of trying to provide the higher level valued service. I try to you know go off and do the next bleeding edge things. So when Cisco wanted to do something in Nexus and UCS, for instance, in the 2000s, I, I, I begged to get on one of the, uh, the partners list of folks to get trained and certified first to get that on my belt so that I could offer that as a, as, as a capability. Uh, Chris McCain was a partner of mine in several different business ventures that we did together. And wow. he got me into VMware in the early 2000s. 
so yeah, we worked together for several years and then parted ways, but parted ways uh, friendly because he he and I had different goals as as things began to un, un, uh, move forward back in the 2000. It was a time of some really cool things going on and SDN and and network function virtualization and all of that were discussion topics that were just starting to make the more public scene. That there was nothing, of course, on the radar as far as an actual product per se. Right, but the discussion was beginning to rear its head and and I thought, you know what, let's get into something a bit beyond just the physical infrastructure. Chris had worked his way to becoming an employee of VMware and so myself, I just decided uh, to take up an offering that he had made and brought me into the fold and VMware is technically the first company, I guess you could say from a professional standpoint that I've worked for as an employee. I've always- Yeah, because yeah, you were never a Cisco employee, right? No, I worked for myself through various Cisco partners on okay. a variety of them, whether it be, I don't know if we want to go through the list of them, but it's no, quite nice. a handful of them. <laughs> and then I even did some work directly with Cisco Advanced Services. Okay. So, All right. Uh, but as a contractor. Right. And then, and the main thing, like you, you always had a very large, you know, the consulting kind of aspect to what you did, but you, you also did a lot of training and professional delivery of training too, right? Oh, yeah. I, I felt that if I was going to deliver a service, I thought, wow, this would be great as a complement to delivering the service, being an instructor, which would afford me the opportunity of picking and choosing a variety of work. That way, I didn't have to rely solely on just staying in the classroom and teaching PowerPoints for training. I right. could also deploy it, implement it, provide over-the-shoulder discussion for how to get something done on a particular product service or product set yeah. and then go back into the classroom and teach the next cool things. That way I could learn it also because there's nothing better than learning something by actually making yourself have to teach it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so to that end, Paul, um, you know, I'm trying to be a virtual network guy as much as possible these days. Um, I'm a, I'm a converted vSphere admin who looks physically here though. Yeah. Well, you so know, you're, you're not... <laughs> thanks. I, I, you know, I saw the light as it were right after the, the, the nice acquisition with VMware and when it became a product and, you know, like to me, like, you know, it was one of these things of, this is sort of a seminal moment in technology where, you know, like it happened once before with the, the you know, rapid development and adoption of a, of ESXi and just the hypervisor in general. And I sort of saw NSX and virtual networking as sort of the second coming of the hypervisor. Um, and it's, and I think this, the adoption rate has been a lot slower than, you know, the move from physical compute to virtualized, you know, work, compute um, in the networking space anyways. And I feel like there's reasons for that that hopefully we'll get into here. Um, but I want to kind of start with the basics of, you know, me being sort of understanding with, with my understanding of things, I, I, I get a lot of this conversation. Tony's a storage guy. At, at heart so you know i thought you and i you know, at least in this if, if nothing else today we can educate people that are listening and we can help educate tony so there we go so i want to start at the very bottom of this conversation and say <laughs> you know can you give us a kind of a general definition of what is software defined networking because i feel like that term has been grabbed by multiple vendors and they're all kind of giving their own version of what it means and, you know, I think to us, it means something completely different than what it does to a hardware vendor, a hardware networking vendor. So, you know, what is sort of the, maybe even the VMware official definition of what makes a software-defined networking? Well, I think we have to go back and just, you know, I don't want to go to this whole historical thing because I'm sure that discussion has been done to death, but 
SDN was designed from the ground up to be a means of simplification of network management due to the fact that if you were in a network, small or large, there was still a disparate number of network devices. You know, there was, even if you bought the same vendor, you could have the possibility of a vendor's offering from two different vertical lines within that vendor having different OSs, different management interfaces, which would create the issue of great I'm a you know I'm a I'm a certified expert on this one or I'm a certified network admin on this one or I'm a this blah 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 but the problem is is it it meant that you understood protocols hopefully and that's always a good thing right but you may not understand how to administer the device so you had to go back and relearn how to administrate the devices and it would become complex in the fact that I have to learn a vast array of how each vendor did things differently down to the physical level. SDN was meant to pull and abstract the componentry of the features of the, the physical systems into a software space, therefore providing a control plane that was manageable now, more so from a generic ideal, I suppose, so that you could just use simple semantics and understanding of how network protocols and services operated independent of the physical systems means of doing so. Therefore, control plane and the data plane became completely disaggregated in that fashion in an SDN ideal. And that allowed a little bit easier means of controlling your environment, or at least so is the thought, right? That's, that's, right. that's, the, that's, that's the value that SDN is meant to provide. And then, of course, you've got a management control and, and data play, which is the basic concepts of any network system device in itself. So physically, that can be all aggregated in one system, or you can pull those apart into three separate planes and therefore disaggregate one from the other, giving you a means of managing a, a an environment in a bit of an easier fashion. That's the goal. Obviously, that goal is not always attained, but that is definitely the goal. Simplification of the of network management and SDN is meant to provide that as, an, as a means of doing so. so. So in reality, it really isn't that much of a leap to say that this is kind of the same idea of, of moving from physical compute to a hypervisor. Not really, because the space where you do the networking and where that data plane for that networking resides is should be more about where is the best place to position it. What's the best area for a specific feature or function to be delivered? Again, that's where network function virtualization comes into it because that became a use case for SDN because technically they were two separate tracks. So network virtualization and SDN were entirely separate tracks. If you were to go look along the standards for each of the documents as each of those progressed through time and evolved, it's just that network function virtualization and network virtualization became an SDN use case at some point where it's like, wow, SDN now become usable because it got this ability to abstract these software services in the network layer and then manage it in a control plane disaggregated from the physical environment. And the virtualized function is nothing more than software components that I can now deploy anywhere independent of the topology of the environment. Or I shouldn't say the topology of the environment, but the independent of the physical locality of various server or systems inside of my environment, making it a lot easier than to provide a feature or a service without concerning yourself. It has to be in this rack at this locality because it has to talk to that device in order to get that feature. Right. And right. that I think something that SDN and network virtualization brings to the environment that 
gives us that agility, that simplification. So you're you're referring to kind of two different things here with with network function network function virtualization. Um, is is how is that a different thing versus just general software defined networking as a construct? Is it the same thing or is it just? Well, SDN, I think is the. Go ahead. Uh... No, I'm just. I'm just. I'm sorry, you were going in and out. So I, I, okay. I think we're talking over each other. Sorry, no, it's fine. I, I just want to try to get a little clarification because I, I've seen confusion in this from other people. Where you know, people, some people talk about NFV or network functions virtualization, and some people talk about software-defined networking, like they're two separate things. So I guess that that is the question: Are they two separate things, or are they kind of the same thing? No, I think SDN is the overall concept of again abstracting the control plane and the understanding of how network service offerings have to be uh, controlled and managed above the data plane. And I think network function virtualization is, or just network virtualization in general in itself, is the specific feature sets of the devices and how you would wish to employ their use in the environment in a software abstracted way. So I, I think those are two separate discussions in that regard, but I think one is a use case of the other, hence the overlap that you often hear people okay. mixing the two as if they're one and the same. So NFV is more hardware dependent, whereas SDN is fully software defined, not tied to hardware in any no, way, I, really? I, 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 would, I would like to stay, I try to stay away from which one has to have hardware dependency and which one doesn't, et cetera. Again, to me, SDN was just the 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 uh, understanding of abstracting away how you manage the network plane within the environment in itself and then the actual f specific feature sets that's where network virtualization comes into play where we can go ahead and abstract that off of a physical device and give it characteristics all totally in software and and then and then entirely deliver it in a software appliance in itself which now gives you a massive amount of agility which by the way i mean that's essentially one of the biggest values of how you can deliver a cloud service and not concern yourself with, I have to have these physical devices and I have to then trombone all my traffic to those specific devices. SDN gives me the ability to provide the control and management plane of how I operate and construct the network itself and how I can orchestrate communication and from the network plane. And then network virtualization is the ability to virtualize those feature sets inside of software appliances. Got it. And then I use SDN as a means of orchestrating the communication to and from that service offering. Like, like where I've seen the network function virtualization conversation happen is for like telco and edge type network stuff. Um, like that's more oh. of where it fits. Well, again, yeah, I suppose it, it depends on how deep you're yeah. going to take it. That's why okay. I, to me, I was sticking more to network virtualization versus NFE per se. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Tony, do you want to go with one or? Yeah. So what, in your opinion, what makes a network stable? stable well it depends on where we wish to provide a specific set of stability in other words are we referring to a an environment where a control plane in the device itself is reasonably stable so that when you go to administer it you're seeing a series of values that are consistent in time or are you referring to stability just in the fact that you just don't have disruptions i mean it depends on how you're defining stability and that's where i think where vmware comes into play and how we envision stability in the environment and how we envision where agility and various dynamic elements should reside 
due to where you can get resiliency in your physical fabric, hence the stability, if you will. And your physical fabric would provide a basis of piped communication to a specific set of devices and connectivity to a specific subset of services in those devices on a continual basis, hence the stability again. Now there should be obviously some, there's some dynamic value adjustments in the control plane that is constantly being updated in those systems itself, but it's still a resounding similarity of, of systems. So when we construct a network architecture with NSX, for instance, you know, bring it into play just to, to a specific use case, we would say we want a physical infrastructure connectivity that only requires a basic set of of kernel services to and from the arc uh, the tours into the physical fabric. And then from there are the tours of the physical fabric, excuse me, into the hypervisors. And from there, we'll go ahead and provide the dynamic elements in an abstracted form above it. Because if we want a logical segment, we just merely need to make an API call and say, Hey, I need a logical segment. And now we got L2. I need a gateway. Great. Now a gateway exists. And I don't have to concern myself with whether or not the physical device of this particular version of my device that's four years old versus this physical device that I bought two months ago have any issue with that because it doesn't matter. They only need to provide a basic set of elements and services on a continual basis, hence stability again, back to I don't require disruption of the physical fabric to constantly renew the service offerings. I can just deliver that in software, mm -hmm. which is where we get back to that discussion of uh, SDN providing the use case, or excuse me, uh, SDN providing a value of managing the the network virtualized environment. So, and go ahead, Tony. And kind of going back to you know, my background in software defined uh, storage with vSAN and, and the full software defined data center with VCF, when we're talking uh, SDN, NSX, uh, for example, in our stack what would the, the software-defined networking impact be on an ESXi hypervisor from a CPU and RAM perspective? I know from a vSAN perspective, it's, it's fairly minimal, um, pretty negligible overall. What would the impact be from NSX controllers and, and all the software-defined components that you have in the NSX stack? All right. Well, obviously the hosts that are providing the virtual appliances compute services. I mean, I think that's separate. I don't think that's what you implied. I think you meant the the hosts that are providing the hosting of the applications utilizing the the managed services of what NSX would provide. Mm -hmm. I, uh, is that am I correct? Okay, yeah. good. That, then if you look at it from that, it is just like you said with vSAN, it's extremely minimal because you have usually a dozen cores, I mean, on the older systems to as many as now, uh, was it upper reaching of 36 and 48 or something like that? I mean, the number of cores inside of a two socket system, by the way, that's just two sockets. Uh, that could obviously be much more than those number of cores once you go well beyond two sockets. So you could even just double that alone in a two socket system with 48 cores. When you start talking about the compute power of a hypervisor today versus just five years ago, it's multitude times that. And even then, when we were computing the the amount of CPU processing NSX would consume at the time, just doing network virtualized uh, services as well as distributed firewall and uh, load balancing and things of those, those are separate use cases. We'll come back to that in a moment. But just for those two alone, I think it was less than half a core at a max of a of a single core. Nice. So if you had 
you know, if you add two sockets with 12 cores a piece, that's 24 cores, and you're only consuming the uh, in an aggregate of less than half a core, uh, that's practically nothing. Mm -hmm. Paul, Paul, one of the things that, that I feel like I'm battling as an SE is this trust that people have built up in physical network gear over their over their careers. Like a lot of people just... Um, they kind of take the physical network for granted after a while because for so many years it's just worked. And so now we're coming in with this new solution. Everything is a lot, a lot of stuff is moving from things controlled by, by a processor on a physical network piece of equipment and it's moving into this software defined world. And so now we're basically breaking that trust that, that people have built up in their minds that, you know, this thing works this way and I understand it this way. And now you want me to trust that it's going to work this way in this whole other system. So, so I've always felt like it comes down to like, we, you know, we need to help customers kind of build their trust in software defined networking and in software defined solutions in general. So, you know, besides just time and besides just proving the value and proving how, how, how it works and how, how things are, you know, how can we help customers build trust in software defined solutions, especially networking. Wow. That has <laughs> been a big problem in networking since the beginning. Going into, I mean, back into the 90s, and this is, I guess, where some ex experience in this does pay off and having gone through this. Uh, among a generation of different things. So if it were to be VLANs from the 90s where people didn't want to trust the fact that you could provide logical versus physical segmentation of your right. environments, even if they didn't route to each other, they were just separate VLANs and those VLANs wouldn't provide any L3 between them. Customers just didn't want to trust it. Uh, there did tend to be uh, that oddly enough at the time too, some specific means of of hacking those VLANs, if you will, and VLAN hopping became an issue, and that just created further distrust in VLANs. Or going to virtualization where we had virtualized compute. I don't know, you know, where your experience in the, the virtualized compute portion of it, but just teaching VMware and vSphere, I would get customers sitting in the classroom or I would be at their office telling them how we were going to deploy various applications. And they would say, well, I'm not trusting anything other than a file server on that virtual machine you know, this <laughs> right, is back right. in the early 2000s. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like, no, you'll be running exchange and whatever in Oracle or SQL server at some point, because you will, they're like, they were laughing. No, never. I'll never do that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, they're going to virtualize people. It's going to be a matter of time. <laughs> you'll trust it. <laughs> you heard it here first folks. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same point, Getting to the heart of your question, I think we're going to have to go through that same cycle or not. I think we're going to have to. We are going through that cycle. We've been right. doing that. And you're correct. NSX first hit the market space with, uh, you know, somewhere in that winter of 2012, 2013 because of the NYSERA purchase at VMware. And that has been a struggle getting customers to realize, hey, you did this trust issue already multiple times and with our own company with you know VMware at one point when it dealt with various compute apps and things of that nature I was just explained you're obviously going to need to go through a very similar uh, I guess progress in that space to develop that trust and you're correct there is this idea that 
gosh, if a physical system is delivering this piece of network protocol, it must be better because it's physical. It's like, no, the physical system has to have software that tells it what to do. We're just simply removing the hardware element on how it actually proceeds and provides the service in itself. Yeah, and and that, that has always been sort of the toughest hill to climb in communicating these things to customers because it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's like the person who has a, you know, ham and cheese sandwich for lunch every day, you know, they trust that like, <laughs> like their life depends on it. And, and it's the same thing in, in networking. Hey, don't knock my peanut butter and jelly, man. I have that every day lunch. <laughs> so, I'm not changing. And, 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 and I think part of this comes back to, you know, career track because, you know, for, 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 for a lot of people, I mean, you know, myself included, I mean, we, as, as technology people, we have to invest a certain amount of brain power in just learning how things work. And so now if I have been doing this in my career for 15 years and now all of a sudden I have to basically start over, you know, and learn a whole brand new, new career track and, you know, switch gears. And I mean, that's, it's hard downshifting, you know, that, and, and going to some other thing like that, that, like the thing that I'm having to start to pick up even more now is, you know, scripting things with like, you know, Ansible or, you know, the, any, any sort of automation type things where people are building networks, you know, with APIs and that kind of stuff where I have to be more of a code head than I've ever had to be in my life. And, and that, that's a big, you know, like it's a struggle point for me and, and it's, 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 it's a lot because of the software defined nature of how NSX and software networks work you know, it opens up all these doors of like, oh, you can do all this stuff with APIs now. And it's like, yeah, I have to kind of start from the beginning on some of these things. Um, and that's scary for people who've been doing it this way if their whole careers. And now all of a sudden we're going to say, you know, you and Mr. Network guy who've been doing it this way for, you know, 20 years, guess what? You get to learn how to do it in this way. And I think, and, and, and I think, you know, so there's, there's some fear in that aspect of things. Um, and I think the other side Excellent. of, I think the other side of that coin is, you know, there are some people who get sort of a, for, for lack of a better descriptor, sort of a religious bent on the software technology that they really like or the products that they really like, you know, it's just, it's the Mac versus PC debate all over again. And, you know, so just people get really into their camp and they, they camp out there and that's where they want to stay. And so if I feel like that's just, you know, there's, there's, we're, we're, we're climbing a, a lot of different f- battles and fronts here where we've got trust issues, we've got career entrenchment issues and just plain preference issues. And, you know, we have to kind of like, as we try to move technology forward, we're having to fight on all three of these fronts at the same time. And I have yet to find a silver bullet answer because probably it doesn't exist. Well, this goes to what we attempted to have as a great conversation in this area around mindset, which is essentially what we're hitting at, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. I think so. Tony, you guys agree? Yes, I think exactly. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, if you think of it then, it's the mindset that says, I have to do this at this place or on this piece of device in order to make it this special, as opposed to not really. 
what it, you, you thought that way again, going back to VLAN segmentation as a means of logically crafting separate and isolated environments or using virtual machines as opposed to physical monolithic systems to uh, monolithic uh, environments, right? Where you had one app on one physical device because we trusted a various OS so well <laughs> right. right at that time, right? But obviously that's not so. We can run multiple operations. And now we have containers and microservices where we're going to run not just a few dozen or a hundred, we're going to run 500 or more. Yeah. That's just one more thing we need to learn. Services. Mm -hmm. There you go. And by the way, that's, there's a trust there as well as a little bit of complexity in, in, in what is being offered. And that's a whole other world that I'm not going to talk about. We get to get Mirren or, or a handful of other or our experts out there. But Chris McCain, for instance, was the one who came up with the concept of an NSX mindset. And sure, for, this is he your t-shirt. <laughs> oh, yep. There we there go. go. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know, does, it, does it read well, though? I, I always look at it and think it looks backwards when it yeah, does. No, it, you're right? good. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same point, the his he came up with this idea of NSX mindset, and he developed an, an entire lecture idea or surrounding a lecture of surrounding growth mindset where we needed to get network people to stop thinking of what you just stated, that this trust factor had to be in the physical systems and say, no, we're not removing your expertise. That's a silly thought because networking is definitely something of an expertise that's always required, whatever you're going to be doing inside of an enterprise, whether it's the enterprise portion of your network or the actual data center itself. But at the same point, we're going to try and make it easier so you don't require expert level skill sets in order to have two workloads in a data center talk to each other and get an inherent set of service offerings between that workflow. So in other words, A talks to B, I should just get inherent security. I should just get it. I don't need to trombone it, service graph it, PBR it, whatever. I should just be able to provide a certain level of service value simply because A needs to talk to the IP address of B and that's it. And I think that's where we have to encourage the environment to look at and that's simplicity. And that, that, that's, a, that's a good discussion topic in itself is just what does simplicity mean? But at the same point, getting people to realize that I can offer simplicity in doing it in the software space remove it from the physical environment, take your skill set, up-level it into the software-defined environment, completely disaggregated from the physical world. And now you have a new skill value that you can offer back to your customers or your partners or, or, uh, or in your business, whatever, as opposed to eliminating the necessity of doing networking in general, but just providing a different means of doing it that should be more agile because I'm no longer tied to how a physical device wants to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I think of it, if you look at it from that perspective, then you start going into a whole array of, of, of different discussion topics in that regard. But you're right. It's tough getting people to think that way. Remember my background you know, was network. I mean, all right, now I'm not trying to say that Novell itself was a, a networking initiator per se, but Novell did have a network environment. And it right. was during that space where, you know, when environments where servers kind of provided the initial networking before you would hit specific devices to do the remaining portion of, of that communication outside of the server space. But at the same point, I started at a Cisco background and I've been in doing Cisco networking all the way up for almost 20 some years before my employment at VMware. 
So one question I have for you here is how is NSX different from other software defined networking solutions? Hmm. Well, the main focus of my discussions have been around how NSX does it different from, let's say, uh, various hardware vendors, just to keep it <laughs> politically correct, if you will. No, no problem. Yeah. We don't. We're all we friends We don't here. have an in. Yep. We're all friends here. Well, we are, of course. <laughs> but. <laughs> We, we don't have an ingrained dependency on the physical device. And this is where I think we can derive value faster, more efficiently for our customers on a continual basis with less disruption. Now, it's all marketing speak, I grant you. And so I, I forgive me for that. But it's all true because it is what we can do. Every quarter or so or whatever our cadence cycle is, we can deliver new features without requiring you to rip and replace anything per se. Now, granted, we did have to go from one NSX flavor to another NS flavor to derive our next generation of value. I, I grant you that. And so if anybody in the audience is thinking, well, you guys are going for V to T. Well, that's true. And you know, I don't really want to go into that because that would take too much time. Yeah, that's a but whole other discussion. Granted, that yeah. is true. Yeah. But that is, yeah, but but that is somewhat true. But there was a, a certain necessity involved in in that requirement. But at the same point, we've made that painless because, again, you're not ripping and replacing your physical world. So, other than a, a, a disruption in how workloads need to be moved and migrated and managed, it's much easier than having to rip out your physical infrastructure to deliver a new feature. And then once we get you on to our latest architecture and forthcoming, we're going to be able to envelop that value much more rapidly, much easier, as you're going to see coming forward with our newest announcements, as you're, you guys are both well aware of what's coming forth in vSphere 7X and, and how we're going to be able to provide integrated application platform right on the hypervisor. So no longer are we going to have this disparate matrix of, of stack offerings that we have to do in order to get a customer to utilize a complete application frameworks. We're just going to have only a handful of different offerings offerings, all of it embedded in a well-formed application platform as opposed to just a resource management platform. So vSphere has definitely matured from just providing the four basic resource management of, 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 of what, you know, networking, compute, memory, and storage services, right? We can now actually do the vast array of the application needs embedded in the hypervisor from a control plane and management plane of the application frameworks all the way through the virtualized networking space that we're going to be able to provide right in the hypervisor inherent in the way the hypervisor operates. And that goes back to the simplicity discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. now we'll take your networking skills in that physical system, up level it over into the hypervisor and you can then essentially deploy in a much more agile world in that, in that, in that value. Or in that way, I should say. Excuse me. And, and, and see, this is, this is where I think even going back to the first question of, you know, what is software defined networking? Like the thing that customers are always hitting me with is, well, if I'm buying, you know, X, X product from this other vendor who says that their stuff is also software defined networking and, and they like to claim like, like, oh, well, there's also, you know, it hooks into vSphere. And so I can do all this kind of, you know, deployment of networks, you know, in software. So, you know, it's the same thing. So why do I need you? You know, they like, I, I the thing I'm constantly fighting is, you know, the, the logo over my shoulder here for VMware Cloud Foundation you know, people love the Cloud Foundation message, but they don't want NSX. 
And so it's, it's, but, but of course you can't have one without the other. And so it's one of these scenarios where like the customers are always just like, you know, we, we hear this message from other vendors about software defined networks. And we believe that because they're telling us that they're getting a software defined solution. And then VMware comes in and says, well, maybe not. And so like that, that is sort of the walking on eggshells conversation we're trying to have here where, you know, what is the real value, I guess, that, that we can point to or say in those discussions or even in just in, you know, general of why it's not, why other vendors really aren't a software-defined solution because ultimately, yes, they're, you know, I think I've heard you say this before, Paul, where like, you know, you're not buying a software-defined solution, you're buying a switch. Well, that's, that's the other thing. Uh, if we get down to the basic elements of what a physical fabric is, a switch is a switch. It's not a firewall. Switches were firewalls. People would pay $30,000 for, right. you know, their firewall all day long, as opposed to the, the monstrosity of amount of money that people have to pay for security appliances. So therefore, a switch isn't that. And it just it can't be that, at least not today. I mean, I don't know, ASIC architecture to this point just hasn't developed to the point where it's cost effective to putting in the type of silicon into a switch that a firewall would do so that every time a packet passes through that physical system, it has all of that capability. That's why you buy specialized appliances that have that ability, or if you're going to use a physical fabric to deliver a secure service, you're going to have to trombone and polarize all your traffic to some place to do so, which is, again, what we're trying to tell customers that this is just not the way the cloud world works. In right. the cloud, you don't consider yourself that way. You want things to be nice and elegant so that when A talks to B, I don't have to concern myself with all of that operationalizing of communication to some trombone to polarized area of my physical fabric. So getting to the heart of your original question, and that was, you know, how are things progressing in, in today's for, for VMware and NSX and how this is different than the way the physical switch fabric customers or companies are employing what they would refer to as SDN. And I would say it's hardware defined. I think VMware came up with the appropriate phrase. It's a hardware defined data center versus a software defined data center. For instance, let's go back to the cadence cycle of how we can employ new value and new service value and new functionality by merely upgrading software services inside of the application platform with no physical uh, switch disruption, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in order to do a very similar format, you have to look at it from a hardware device framework. And I've taught and done this for 20 some years. So this is something I'm very familiar with. Right. If I deliver a switch to you and we put a first generation of software on that switch and we say, well, in sometime X down the road, you're going to get such and such feature set from that switch, which meant you bought a switch. It has a hardware based function but my software can't deliver that hardware function yet. So I'm gonna give you a piece of software code some down, down the road that's gonna give you an update that you're gonna buy through a support delivery, and boom, you're gonna get a new feature out of your hardware that you bought a year ago. So, so you didn't really get a new feature, you just essentially broke it out of jail from something you bought a year ago <laughs> so earlier in order for it to actually provide it because you know it was sitting in, in the penitentiary because you couldn't have a piece of software that elevated its function and use. And then I'm gonna turn around and come back to you two years later and say, hey, I got this great new physical box 
and you need to get rid of your old boxes in order to do this. And then I'm going to sell you code on that box that's only going to elevate a certain feature set. Once again, the same generational idea where you're going to run three to four or five different software generations to finally fulfill everything that I sold you several years ago every three or four years. And that's what you have to do from the physical world, which is insane. But it was the only way to do it back then. So to be fair to all of the switch vendors, it's not that this is a con game of sorts. It was something that was the only way to deliver things, and it was the way to get things out efficiently and fast to market. So that's fine. But today's software cycles doesn't demand that type of, of, of paradigm. We can do things all in software, abstract it all into an appliance, and simply just deliver truly new features every quarter or more, et cetera, or I mean, so more as far as time, I'm just using a, a time frame as a relevant uh, cycle. So our cadence cycles tends to be somewhere between a quarter every five months. We put out something that's offering new features and functions. And at the same point, that cadence cycle is not dependent upon what you have in your environment. That's, that, that's, that's also important because think about this. If I don't elevate the physical device, and you do give me a new piece of code, then you got to go through this whole release notes that says, well, if you've got device X versus device Y versus device W versus device Z, you get certain, certain features. And this code can only run on device X, but you can't put it on device Z. I mean, what an insane way of living. But it was, again, the only way you could do it before, but today we don't have to do that. Now I can give you a piece of software and who cares what's underneath it, and you get features A, B, C. Right. And then you get ABCDEF on the next feature release. And that's a really cool way of looking at your environment that, once again, is simpler. I think going back to the conversation on, you know, a lot of admins out there, the fear of losing their roles, that kind of thing. This doesn't make any of that go away. Right. Physical networking is always something that we're going to need. This is just an overlay and gives you a little bit more flexibility and some additional capabilities and not always having to touch the physical network because you can loop back inside software inside the same, you know, VMK MIC and say in same inside the same kernel. So I, I think that's an interesting point too, is going back to the NSX mindset. And I was privileged enough to see Chris McCain give that talk in uh, at NV, NDV mug a couple of years ago. Um, it's not that we're trying to replace what you're doing. It's, tr it's giving you additional avenues to learn and additional things that you can kind of transition your career to um, and stop fighting fires and, and, and move towards a more modern data center as well. Right. And, and, and I really like, I, I like, I like the way you, you laid it out, Paul, there where you're just like, you know, to get new features on a network side of things, you often have to adopt new hardware and mm -hmm. you know, it's, and it's one of these things of like, yeah, you, you, we've been so in, ingrained in that cycle of, you know, upgrading hardware to get new software. Um, and, you know, and I think to be fair, VMware does that a little bit too, just not as often, right? I mean, you, there are still CPU functions that we can't take advantage of unless you, you know, have a certain level of hardware. But, you know, Correct. but it's a matter of, you know, maybe you don't have to do it, you know, every three to five years instead of every one to two years. Um, but, but, that, but those are the things that, that I've seen customers kind of kick back at me of, you know, like, yeah, well... You know, if I if I need this new feature, yeah, I'll just deploy it in software. And so, to them, in their mind, you know, it is software-defined networking because they still clicked a button on a screen to deploy a new thing instead of you know just moving all that, ab yeah, ab abstracting that complexity out of their physical network gear and into software, really fully into software. 
um and it's it's a but but I, yeah i'm gonna have to go back and i, I always listen back to every single episode and, and paul i'm gonna have to go back and listen to what you just said on a lot of that stuff because that was good <laughs> i don't know if everybody caught that but that was gold jerry <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do appreciate it, but it is a basis of what our business unit has been saying. I mean, it's a it's in a nutshell how we provide that value. So if you want to have an application frameworks platform, can you derive that from solely buying a set of switches, which you had impl- uh, or began to uh, bring in, in our, into our discussion? And then a specific vendor wants to say, well, we're going to go ahead and utilize a various set of integration from an API standpoint to manage how the hypervisor will be tied to the root of the top of the rack switch. And so that if we want to deliver virtualized services inside of the hypervisor in order to coordinate that with the physical switch environment, we're going to tie the two together in this noose that basically says you have to do it in this fashion and forever in this fashion based upon this one vendor. To some extent, all vendors are proprietary in some regards, so it's not totally a fair comment per se. But at the same point, we're not tying together the entire physical fabric into the layer seven app and saying that all the way down from layer seven down to the physical system, you have to do everything in this one fashion. We're disaggregating that physical world so you can manage it entirely separate from the perspective of when I want to do upgrades, when I want to do maintenance, when I want to do uh, refreshes of the physical systems itself so that you can get a longer life. For me personally, I think going back to the switch world, if someone were to tell a customer back in the 90s, et cetera, that you were gonna have to refresh your Catalyst 6000s every three to five years, I don't know if the Catalyst 6500s would have ever been as successful as it was because I'm still having customers tell me they're getting rid of those things. It's 20 years later. Yeah, <laughs> and customers yeah. still have those things. And then they're going to go to now a hardware cycle that we're discussing with them that's going to be a much quicker refresh cycle than what they're used to. And they're telling us that's going to somehow save them money. And I'm thinking, well, it's not just the CapEx cost of refreshing the physical system. It's the OpEx cost and having to do all of the disruption. And when you're doing that, you're obviously not going to want to coordinate that among a a multitude of other Uh, changes and disruptions in how you want to do your application deployment, how you want to do your DevOps, how you want to conduct your CI, CD pipelines and things of that nature, which is really where you should be putting your bigger emphasis and business decision-making because that's how you're going to deliver your apps and the service offerings and your, and a, and a much quicker go-to-market strategy so that the value of the business can be delivered much more efficiently. That's something we can do showing them that how, if your switch only has to be replaced for one of three reasons, a, it just breaks. Okay. So obviously you got to get rid of it if it's broken. Right. B, it runs out of steam. In other words, it doesn't deliver the IO efficiently anymore. And C, the vendor just says, hey, this sucker's sold because you didn't have it break and it didn't run out of steam for you. Unfortunately, we're simply not going to keep supporting this thing. It's, you know, X number of years old at this point. That's fine. But if it's one of those three things, you would have to admit you're going to get your largest return on investment on that fabric. And if I then deliver the services and software, you're right. Tony's correct. Go back to what Tony said. We're not trying to replace the network administrator. That 
the network administrator role is definitely going to transition a little bit. There's going to be mm-hmm. some convergence of knowledge that's required because if we do run VCF, our stack, there are a series of services that are now much more intertwined into the networking space. Storage is obviously a portion of that. It becomes an integral portion of it as opposed to just something that's ancillary. And now when you start looking at it from that perspective, your expertise level must get up level a little bit. So it's not going to say that you're going to become the storage expert, but I think all of us can agree that our virtual SAN doesn't really take anything more larger than a junior admin to figure out how it works. That doesn't mean the junior admin is going to be the guy that creates the architecture and the design of the world, but it doesn't take something other than some simple administration of IP mechanics and semantics to figure out how vSAN operates, communicates, and we can do HA for it, for instance. Mm-hmm. But Therefore, the network admin can now delve into that area and help out in how we can do storage, how we can do networking. And then, uh, again, we're just layering other application functionality on top of that without really introducing new protocols. The only thing that we introduce with NSX is nomenclature. If you think of it, that's it. We don't change. We're not doing anything above, if you will, a CCNA level of knowledge. We do, you know, we do routing, switching, load balancing, NATing, IPAM. And uh, I'm trying to think of something else. You know, it's only obviously security, correct? Right. But none of that is above a CCNA level of knowledge. It doesn't require huge expertise. So now those experts can do some of the more serious servicing from whether it's inter communication of your data center or it's managing an architecture of the design of the environment. So we can have fewer people. And not so much less, but just fewer people as the environment grows. You don't require X number of people for every X or Y number of new workloads. Just to scale. You can maintain X number of people. Yeah. And, and that, that's been one of the things I've been trying to tell, tell and communicate to customers in this thing as well is like, just because this is a new thing doesn't necessarily mean that all of those good practices that you've learned as a network admin for those 20 years just suddenly get thrown out the window. I mean, you still have to do good network yeah. planning. You still have to go do good security policy planning. You still have to you know, understand how networks communicate between themselves. I mean, all of that foundational knowledge is still valid. And, you know, and, and you know, it, and I, I see sometimes a sigh of relief from people like, oh, <laughs> like they're, they're they have this thing built up in their mind. They're like, oh, no, I have to learn everything all over again. And it's really just like, no, like we're just all, all we're doing is moving it, moving the complexity from one construct and moving it into another and hopefully in in that process making the day-to-day management and the scalability of it much more simple so you got into the heart of our design expert discussions when we have i shouldn't say discussion but the training where you architect an environment that should be able to move forward without serious disruption in order to introduce something new and exciting as your environment progresses. Whereas a poor design would mean, you know, every 18 months you're essentially ripping and replacing something. Right. Uh, Or uh, at least a major disruption of some sort in order to acquire something new and cool. The idea of a good design should be other than maybe having to do new cable plant or something like that, something of a very serious nature, because whatever you're putting in to your environment is, is not going to have a sufficient backing in order to provide that function. 
hopefully you can maintain a bit of, again, going back to what does stability mean? What does simplicity mean? And stability should mean is least amount of disruption to acquire new feature, new value, and new capability as time progresses. That's a great design. And that's something we try to instill in our VCDX program. Yeah. Uh, I'm aware of that just because I came into that program when the network virtualization uh, vertical was introduced into it back in 2013. Yeah, it, it just hit me, Tony. I think Paul's the first VCDX we've had on the show. <laughs> you might oh, really? Be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So congratulations, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. But, you know, uh, yeah, well, I, I think you guys... You know, I, you know, I, I got my VCIX on, you know, NSX for vSphere and I'm, I'm now reworking my way through the, the VCP track for NSXT just so that I have that knowledge. Um, and right. like there was one point last year where I think I, I was like, I, I couldn't sleep one night and I, st- so I, and I, so I pulled up the application process for the VCDX and I started to look through it, you know, like my, my, most bad ideas happen at 2 a.m. <laughs> so i'm looking at this and I'm like and i'm you know I'm, I'm tired i can't sleep and i'm, I'm and i'm just seriously considering trying to put an application in for a vcdx defense and i'm like yeah this is not a good idea right now <laughs> that's about as far as i got yeah, down it's that a, path <laughs> it's a bit it is a bit overwhelming i think and but i think the one thing that's good about the program one thing is bad about the program i mean we could go into that but i think that's another program right yeah but i think what's good thing about it is that it it teaches some very good semantics about how you should think of architecting your environment, which is one of the most valued components of the VCDX and uh, experience. So are the, that you would get out of the being the VCDX experience, whether you're successful at attaining it or not, at least you walk away with an inherent set of understanding of how you should deliver architecture and design so that the customer derives the best value from the infrastructure Etc. You know things of that nature. What about software-defined networking and physical workloads in the data center? What can be gained there? All right, that has been a specific sore spot, if you will, with NSX. There's no doubt. I mean, that has been one of the sticky points if you will, when conversation comes up and a customer says, well, I've got X number of bare metal workloads. I've got, you know, Y number of virtual workloads. Great. You're going to handle all of my Y virtual loads. What about my X? And, you know, et cetera. And I, I grant you that is a fair question. And I think in the past, our answer was semi good, but not great. And that was, well, let's look at the ratio. For instance, even back in 2013 and 2014, generally the ratio was no greater than 70-30, which still, again, is 30%. That's a, And usually the 30% is a significant 32, so we can't dismiss that. So I don't want to say, oh, it's 70-30, so obviously it's small and minimal. No, the 30% could be a majority of the base value of an app, for instance, could the database, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that in itself doesn't dismiss it in that logic. But at the same point, where are you moving toward? You're virtualizing those things at some point, and which is what has become the case, which today now we're looking at almost in unvariably 90 to 95 to 5 to 10 percent physical. So even environments, those will say, oh, I've got 500 physical, and they'll say, that means I've got a 60-40 split because they'll say I have 500 of this, and I've got little like 650 and 700 of the vSphere host. It's like, no, on your 650 vSphere host, you're running 14,000 VMs. Mm-hmm. So in reality, you are a 98 to 2 ratio. You're very minimal. And your 500 systems, as far as I know, they don't move. 
<laughs> so that means you could set policy on them in the physical environment separately with our older product and essentially you could set it and forget it and other than some minor tweaking as scale affects who's communicating to what you might have to go back and tweak a couple of endpoint values in uh in in the physical systems or in the um in the, the virtual distributed firewall, but that can be automated in both sense. With T though, we now are beginning to combat that and we're hitting it quite effectively. We've covered the vast gambit of Linux distributions, all right, and with an OVS-based agent service inside of it so we can instill policy and manage those systems. And we're doing so now with the next release where we're gonna start hitting Windows bare metal. So customers that are employing databases, Microsoft DCs, or various system services or shared services that they don't wish to have virtualized, uh, fearful of the chicken and egg issue of some sort, or et cetera. But at the same point, those systems we are take, tackling, where we still, of course, are looking for answers and responses, to be fair, is outside of those OSs and other IoT systems where we have to help our customer figure a way of managing those. So therefore we'll go and leverage outside of our environment to help aid us in producing policy and manageability of, of what those devices need. But again, it's usually just communicating to and from them where we can at least secure it out of the virtual space into the physical space in that regard. We already have one partnership with a major switch vendor where we're managing the ACLs in their physical switch management fabric. And it's a symmetric management system, unlike something else we all know that is completely asymmetric and uh, and, and very uh, orthogonal to the way vCenter operates. This one is specifically engineered over a two-year partnership where APIs were created to assure ourselves of a symmetric operation of the Arista fabric for ACL management of bare metal systems that NSX cannot cover. And therefore, if something is tweaked on their side, something is tweaked on vCenter's or our management side, there's a sharing of that knowledge, there's a sharing of control plane errors, et cetera. So in that sense, it is a true way of doing it, but neither of those integrations, or I should say neither, it is a single integration, if you will, but that integration does not hinder neither environment is where I guess I was going with that. In other words, they can have their own cycle of doing things. We can have our own cycle of doing things because the way the APIs were constructed, it was meant to, to be as disaggregated from some matrix of, of complexity and having to uh, upgrade both environments or change and manage the each environment operationally. That's a distinct difference when we have to deal with other physical infrastructure who says, well, we can handle physical and virtual, and we're just going to go ahead and tell your virtual infrastructure how it has to be done, and you can't change that. And if you provide any operational tooling on in the environment, it must be only done in order the way it, the physical fabric wants to tell the virtual fabric how to do everything. And that's insane. That's like one vendor essentially mastering the other vendor's product cycle, and that's insane. That can't be. So. One thing that really fascinates me, you know, even before I came to VMware is the fact that all the things that we can do in terms of software defined, if you would go back 10 years when we were, you know, more or less at basic vSphere levels and there, there weren't all these additional uh, products and capabilities. And you, if you look at today when we have VMware Cloud Foundation enabling your hybrid cloud, your private mm -hmm. cloud model on-prem, and then we have uh, another product like uh, VMware 
cloud on AWS, for example, where you can migrate those workloads up and down, uh, fully software-defined on both ends uh, from a compute and network virtualization standpoint. How do those how do those technologies tie together? Like the the agility that a customer gets being able to migrate a workload from a hybrid cloud up to VMware Cloud on AWS, for instance. How does that tie together from an NSX perspective for just connectivity and, and security for a network layperson like me? I mean, you're doing distributed firewalls, VPN tunnels. How does that connectivity kind of work to enable that? Well, VMC and AWS, when it was first put out, there was concern of, well, cost for one thing, because you obviously have you know, Amazon's cost, you have our cost and things of that nature. But when customers mm -hmm. started to really delve into the cost, they started to see, wow, I don't have to manage a physical fabric. Mm -hmm. All I got to do is manage application services in some managed provider cloud. Obviously, this one being a vSphere stack or a VMware stack, I should say, and our SDDC stack inside of a Amazon data center system environment. So all you got to do is deploy workloads after you push a couple of buttons and line up an account in order to use it. We got a multitude of thousands of other VMware cloud provider partners, right? Our VCC or VCPP program, right? And that's over 4,000 now worldwide that can do that same SDDC stack. IBM's been doing it as well for many years. And we shouldn't discount the fact that technically IBM's SDDC of vSphere stack technically was the first of that. And then we now have signed agreements with a variety of the other hyperscale cloud vendors, including Oracle last year, where it was, you know, we had Larry Ellison on stage talking of the great. A partnership that they now have with us and of course supporting Oracle on vSphere workloads and the SDDC stack that'll be offered inside of the Oracle cloud. So when you look at it from that perspective, you start to think, great, now I have a symmetric alignment of my data center, multiple sites plausibly, as well as the ability to go and leverage a variety of different cloud service offerings for all of my VMware workloads, I don't have to change my application paradigm unless I choose to, to go to something more native to a cloud. That's fine too. We're not suggesting they can't they, because our cloud offerings intermix with the native vendors cloud offering. So for instance, if you want to run a native VPC in AWS, great. We've got NSX cloud that can manage workloads across the vSphere service offerings, as well as into the native offerings of Amazon. So you can manage policy across both of those. And you could do that in one of two different ways in itself. That's another discussion. But VMC and AWS specifically means that I can have VMware stack essentially anywhere in the world pretty much now. I mean, it's offered in, in a variety of places just among Amazon itself. And the other vendors are going to make up for different geos and, and regions, et cetera, that may or may not have it today. Uh, but we've got those 4,000 other managed providers. And I can do DR as a service by merely just saying, I can just build, uh, bring up workloads, or I can just V-motion them using HCX as the shirt that is <laughs> right there proudly displayed on Britain's, uh, that one. VMware HCX is like super duper steroid, you know, induced V-motion. Really cool. and, and by the way, legal steroids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, because, it, and if you think of it, it's just a, a fantastic capability where 
your mind just says, great, I can drag workloads to and from the cloud, by the way, not just to the cloud, but from it back to the, the, the infrastructure at will. And in many cases, non-disruptively, right? Because yes. of the way HCX operates. That is something that I don't think anybody thought would truly be plausible. People were sitting there saying, oh, vMotion between two sites was stupid, and you're never going to want to do that, and so who cares about that? And you got your storage, you got to concern yourself. I used to see all kinds of crazy YouTube videos saying how silly this was going to be. Well, that's what everybody says about every new technology when it's produced, right? I mean, it's yeah. always the naysayers trying to find some way of saying, that's bad. You're you never going to need more silly. than two megabytes of RAM. Right, yeah. That's right, right. Or <laughs> hell, I, I can do that, buddy. I can go all the way back to how much REM you have to have inside of your physical systems. I was still doing upper memory management blocks of, of on one one megabyte of memory. <laughs> wow. Uh, so back to you know the and using all kinds of goofy products to deliver that. But nevertheless, to our modern day discussion, <laughs> since that's what's more relevant, is the fact that you know isn't that cool though? I can drag any workload from any place to another cloud environment, non-disruptively, and- And elastically scale it. Usage. Elastically scale it too, yeah. right? And then, or I can have a portion of the front end or back end in whichever place based upon uh, data alignment to the various standards of the regions, whatever. Isn't that's just something that I don't think people grasp until they, just open up an account and they look at it and they go, you're right, this is just too cool. So yes, there's a cost factor in doing VMC and AWS, but it's far cheaper than managing an entire infrastructure, buying cap uh, the CapEx and just employing the gear in some place, much less managing the lease site or maybe using a colo even. Still, costs, we're yeah. alleviating all that. Yep. And there's something to be said for what is your business? Is your business truly doing data center management for everything that's required to provide HA and, and DR? Or is your business more aligned to, I just need to be sure these apps are available so my business can move forward efficiently? Mm -hmm. And I, I think the latter is what more people are starting to find to be the better value for them. So yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the customers that I spoke to are basically in the boat of we don't want to manage infrastructure anymore. We want to make our product X, what whatever it is that we do, we want to do that. We want the technology to melt into the background. And I think VMware's vision of any cloud, any device, any app really speaks to that. Where we're going with that, we can, you know, with some of our strategic partnerships and, and the way that our technology is working, we've got that ability now where you know we never had it in the past. That's pretty cool technology. Correct. correct. Yeah. Right. I think that's and then and the ability to provide that secure policy and the rest of the policy, because I think a mistake that was often made is that when we talk about elevating the stack or the use of the uh, our software stack in certain world and we say, well, we can deliver policy. Everybody just thinks security. No, policy is everything from L2 through L7. So whether it's just a logical segment, whether it's a gateway value where it's a routed protocol feature, et cetera, that's all policy. And security policy is obviously a major component of that. Mm -hmm. Paul, I want to wrap this up here, um, but I I have a small soapbox item that I need to, to get off my chest, and I'd like to get your take on this as well. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of you know messaging around Internet of Things, IoT devices, and this kind of thing, and how it it seems like as an industry or as technology is talking about Internet of Things stuff that's that's happening with all these little tiny devices that need network access. It seems to me like in technology circles, we're talking about IoT as though it's a brand new thing that we've never seen before. 
and, and we have to suddenly manage it differently. But the way I look at it is it, it's just another device on a network with an IP address. So why do we have to look at it as though it's some brand new thing and some brand new threat? Like, isn't it really just the same old, you know, network device that we've always had to manage and secure just like we've always done? Or is IoT really a new paradigm that we need to, be, to learn about and be concer- concerned about? But the difficulty with IoT from the start was that the older devices had an operating system on it, and they had, of course, a management interface, and all of them, well, even to this day to some extent, were extremely proprietary or specific or just getting an IP adjustment on that device would require you to call support of whatever that device offering us from that vendor or whoever you're deriving support for that specific piece of equipment. And then that would alone cost you, could be upwards of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, just whatever your contract is for that. And that's what customers would tell us. They would say, oh, if I have to call somebody in to change, you know, X number of our devices to specific IP addresses, this is going to cost us a fortune because of the fact that the only person who could change this is the partner. We don't know how to do that, or it's just too expensive for us to do it internally, or too hard for us, I shouldn't say expensive. And I think as time has gone on, though, IoT devices have, again, begun to evolve a bit where we're going to be able to provide a little bit more cohesive managers because we're not dealing so much with these disparate OSs, and they're becoming a little bit more mainstream in how they're operated and managed, whether there be some virtual front end for it, et cetera. And I think that's gonna make it a bit easier. So it's not this big boogeyman of how to deal with it. But to this day, it's still a challenge. I don't know if any vendor truly has the most complete method of of dealing with every single piece of equipment, whether it's a manufacturer or it's some company that does lumber, uh, right? And they have saws that are all managed through some physical, uh, uh, excuse me, some uh, some implementation of an IoT to manage the saw remotely, et cetera. So all of those things and uh, all of those things come into play and in how you have to manage it and depends on what are you trying to get out of it? Am I just trying to secure communication to make sure obviously whoever's employing management of it and operation of it is obviously a secure and trusted uh, player in that, in, in my environment. And I think that's been a huge difficulty from any vendor to uh, provide alignment to, and not to mention, I think that space is changing quite rapidly. Right. Whereas in the past, I think it was just sort of, Every vendor just said, well, I'm going to do my own thing. And if I do my own thing, it means if you got 16 pieces of equipment, you might have 14 different OSs on those 16 pieces. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that, that so, so I guess a, I guess, a, a I, huge thing. And I guess the, the question back on that is then, so then can you not really manage them secure, secure, security-wise like you would, you know, say a desktop PC and then just put it in its own network with its own firewall rules around it and policies? I mean, is it? Is it, if, if you go that level with IoT, is it just more, more, more than likely you're just going to make that device not function if you went that way with it? Well, I know for, for VMware, the, the problem was, of course, is coming up with an organically grown management system for acquiring policy, uh, excuse me, uh, for, for providing policy and implementing policy to those systems. So invariably, we would have a central database that would be able to accumulate and aggregate understanding of all the IoT devices. And then we would employ some third-party software services in order to implement some of that policy or, or to accrue that data into our central system. And I think that 
at some point, we're going to be able to find a simpler method of doing that in a less complex manner. And I think okay. that is where the market has to move towards. So I, I, I'm not certain that I would be the best person to speak to on IoT, only for the fact that I deal with it more so when we go into, let's say, a, a healthcare facility. You're obviously going to have tons of IoT systems. Right, right. Yeah. And that's where we come across it there. And that's where we reach into the BU that's responsible for IoT to come and help us provide alignment of, of policy and and, and configuration for managing the security communication and flow to those systems. So, so it, 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 and it's a very specialized world. So it's a little different than network devices right. or bare metal Linux, et cetera. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. fair. Right. I, I guess I, I'm just, uh, the, you know, especially, you know, sitting where I am, we're working on the things I'm working on now. It just, it seems to me like just watching the industry as this, as it develops, like it's a moving target. And, and I feel like I'm seeing different definitions of what IOT is where you know what you need to be concerned about and it's just like it's almost like the it's almost kind of like the container space in my mind where it's like it's just changing every other day <laughs> but well i we could you could see it being tackled in a variety of ways like smart next for instance maybe the the network vendors will develop the the smart NIC technology that we already have today and then they'll instill it in these iot devices so now we can implant some type of agent or communication function more natively to that system or that device without having to do anything to an extreme or to a complex nature where that's just it's just specific to the proprietary nature. I do believe though you are going to have proprietary devices for some time. I mean, hospitals are just not going to want to change out their right. devices just to acquire some native new method of managing it. It's just not cost effective for them right. uh, or whatever. The I just picked them because it just happens to be a specific vertical. I do a lot of uh, customer discussions with. Yep. But at the same point, I, I do believe that as time will roll on, some of that's going to get resolved a little bit uh, easier just because there will be a more cohesive management of it probably just due to just innovation in the way the network itself is communicated to and from those devices very cool um i, I guess I, I want like i said i want to wrap this up tony do you have any last questions anything else you're i up? think i'm good yeah my ups is uh beeping an alarm in the background so i think that's time to land this plane <laughs> It's always a good sign. Your UPS is beeping. <laughs> yeah, I have to replace the batteries, and it's beeping every once in a while. <laughs> oh, I was just wondering. I was going to say you, you've been out of power this whole time because you got a lot of bright lights on yeah. there in the background. I see. No, the, <laughs> you can't see it, but the the server rack lab is actually behind me over here in this corner. Ah, uh, no, no. My wife made me get rid of mine. She said if she ever heard any of those servers whirling around in my in our home again, that uh, I might have to be uh, finding a divorce attorney. <laughs> so she won't. She won't. Let me. <laughs> so now home I'm just labs kidding. can, can be home records. Yeah. Well, she put up with it for twenty some years. You guys have to remember, go back to the eighties when you had to hear those quick oh, tapes, yeah. the oh. loud things. So imagine those things whirling around at two a.m. at night, and no matter what you soundproof that room, you still heard that stupid little tape. <laughs> <laughs> it's backing up a whole sixty megs. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> that's awesome. But it took six hours. Cool. Well, Paul, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate yeah, you coming this on. Is, this has been, uh, you know, we haven't had this depth deep of a technical discussion on the show in a while and it's it's been good um yeah, so I, I appreciate, appreciate you it. coming on and uh you know yeah i think i, I at some point in the future i've I, it's been on my list of things to do to have a specific vcdx show where it gets several vcdx people to come on so um 
So I'll, I'll, I might hit you up to be the, the network virtualization VC, VCDX guy I'm in, on that one because I want to try to get one from each track. I'll be lucky to do that. It'd be yeah. great. Yeah. I'd like, to get, I'd like to get one one person from each track just to kind of get the the full gamut of how that's covered. So, well, again, yeah, th- thanks, thanks a lot, Paul. Paul, do you have a blog or anything you can plug? <laughs> I actually, the few times I've written things no. on the web is for has been for VMware. Or I did it for a fellow uh, blogger. I put a few things on their site, but I haven't done one personally. I I, I find I don't know where I'd get the time to do that right. because I I spent the whole day yesterday, for instance, just learning something brand new, just so I can understand what's coming forth in the next year. Right. So uh, it's I, I find time wise, I it's I have to divide my time, and unfortunately, blogging is just not one that I do a lot of. Right. I do create content, but uh, but they don't tend to be in blogs. Cool. I've got one more thing. I can't believe we almost glossed over it. It's V Expert Week. Congratulations to all of us. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we all, yes, we yes, all yes, got yes, in yes. on Monday again. Congrats yes, to all of yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. And to all yeah, the V Experts yeah. out there listening, congrats. Yes, uh, the announcements went out Monday. Yes. Welcome to all. Yeah, I think I think that's a good thing to say. I think that the V Expert community has been fantastic, and there's more yep. than one ways to earn your right to carry that that credential. And that is, you know, whether it's you, it's your guys doing this show and, uh, and, and your various work for myself, it's just, you know, helping out the community in, in a variety of different ways. Uh, I don't blog of course, but I do so in many other ways behind the scenes. And I, I think that's a fine thing as long as we're all promoting some specific positive aspect of what that value of that credential is meant to provide. Yep. Cool. Community is awesome. All right. And then your Twitter is at P man right? That's correct. All right, we always, we like to we like to try to connect people here as much as possible. So you know, if you enjoyed if you enjoyed this, you know, give Paul a shout out on Twitter. So. All right, well, thanks everybody. All right, I'm, folks, I'm, thanks. I'm gonna play us out. Give us give me one second here, and we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. And once again, this has been GigaCast episode 36 for February 28th. Thanks again to Paul Mancuso for joining us. Um, lots and lots of good, te- good tech info discussion here. Um, if you want more information on any of this stuff, um, just just start start diving into the software-defined networking discussion on, on the Googles, of course. You know, take a look at all the information on the VMware site. Um, again, you can follow Paul on Twitter at bmancuso. I'm at VCIXNV. Tony's at Import Car Guy. Um, we're, we don't, I don't have another one scheduled just yet. We'll get uh, a guest lined up and we'll get that rolling here soon. We, we're coming into UserCon season, so it's it's going to be moving fast with lots and lots of community things happening. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please share it, subscribe it, whatever you got to do. Have a great week, everybody.